This is episode 672 of the Prepper Website Podcast, where I connect you with resources that will help you live a more self-reliant life so you can love your people, get prepared, and live free. This is a special episode of Prepper Website Live, bugging out with the Lykovs. Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is usually an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website. But from time to time, I have special episodes and interviews that can bring some great information to your preparedness. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com or in the show notes. Hey guys, before we jump into this special episode, uh, we received a couple of reviews on iTunes. I just wanted to do a quick shout out to First Patrick. Patrick says, hey Todd, I started my journey into preparedness about eight months ago. I really wasn't aware of the need for it until this whole pandemic hit, affecting our daily lives. I found your podcast and started listening to it. I love your practical view of preparedness, the focus on community, unity, and the faith that you talk about each week. Keep up the good work and God bless. Thanks so much for that, Patrick. And then also from P. Darrell, he says, enjoy Todd's balanced approach to prepped issues. Our trust is in God. Thank you so much, guys. I really greatly appreciate it. It's always a blessing when I see those come through. And then also, it is a help for those that are truly looking for good preparedness information. And they're able to get a little bit of an idea of what they're going to find when they look at some of those reviews. So I greatly appreciate it. Again, it's a a truly a great blessing to me. All right, so this episode is from a live video that I did with my friends, Chip Feck, Mick Rowland, and Brian Hawkins. Now, we discussed one of Mick's articles called Bug Out to the Woods for 40 Years, Lessons from the Lykov Family. Uh, We discussed our takeaways, but also our plans and ideas around bugging out. So This is a great story, and uh, we had a great time, and it just seemed to go by really, really quickly, especially when you have four different people and four different views. So I hope you really enjoy this episode. Let's go ahead and dive into this one. Um, We're going to be looking at an article from Mick. Uh, Mick wrote this one called uh, Bugging Out with the Lykovs. And uh, he released it a couple of, uh, maybe a week ago. Great article. I love, I got to tell you, I love articles that have a little bit of history and then the the lessons there. So Mick, tell us a little bit about this article. Run it down and give us a little recap for us. All right. Well, it started off in that uh, I had sort of heard vaguely about uh, the Lykov family years ago, but I didn't think much of it. And trying to think back, I think it was more because it was being told as almost like a rescue. Just here's a family that was lost in the woods and we found them. And isn't that wonderful? But then as I was rereading it, I thought, wow, this sounds an awful lot like a prepper story. Because as I got into the uh, the background on it, uh, there was uh, a trigger event, basically uh, one family's SHTF, and they grabbed up their goods and their family and bugged out to the woods. And I thought, yeah, we're reading about that all the time. So uh, I went back and was doing a little bit of more research on it and just to uh, sort of do the nutshell version of the article. Uh, it was back in 1936. This is in Russia. And the Lykov family, they're, uh, they were part of a sort of an oppressed religious minority in Russia. And so they were already used to living on the fringes of Siberia just because they'd been pretty well exiled from polite society. And yeah, they were happy to eke out a peasant's life out there in the edges of Siberia. But with Stalin and his communists had taken over in the 30s, 
and uh, they had no tolerance for uh, Christians of any flavor that uh, one day while the man of the family named Karp was working in a field with his brother, a Soviet patrol came by and shot his brother dead. And he thought, that's it. They're going to get us next. So he grabs up his wife, two kids, a whole bunch of different weird stuff and bugged out into the woods. And I thought, well, there's your modern story. It just happened to be 1936. But uh, they bugged out to the woods and they kind of kept going. Uh, they ended up making a couple of crude shelters along the way, but uh, they got so deep into the woods, they were 150 miles from any place that was any place. Wow. And in the area, there aren't many any places that are any places. <laughs> so uh, they were way out there. And uh, they just hung out there and were basically living the, uh, the bug out to the wood dream of built themselves a debris hut and had a survival garden and kind of went on with being a family. Uh, the wife and the family, Agolina, she eventually had two other kids. So they had a family of five out there. And so she was uh, giving birth twice without any doctors or any of that other uh, modern conveniences. Mm. And uh, they kind of uh, kept subsisting along. And because they were way the heck out there, they had no idea that World War II had ever happened. And they were that disconnected that uh, something that major, yeah. <clears throat> them. And uh, that was all fine, I guess. But what they had noticed was that things wore out. When you're out there for 40 years, things are going to wear out. Uh, first, their shoes wore out and there's no way to fix them. So uh, they made uh, new shoes out of birch bark or went barefoot. And then their clothes were wearing out and they'd patch them and patch them until they couldn't patch them anymore. But a couple of the things that they had bugged out with was uh, a spinning wheel crude loom and hemp seeds. So they were able to grow their own hemp to make fibers and they knew how to break it up into fibers and spin that into yarn and then weave it into basically burlap. So they were making all their new fresh new burlap fashions out there in the middle of the woods and that's what they were doing for clothes. They didn't have any kind of weapons to speak of for uh, hunting so they didn't eat a lot of meat. They were doing some fishing in the river uh, mostly making weirs from what I was able to gather. Uh, make a weir and they'd catch fish that way. Uh, but one of their sons uh, became the family hunter. And without any uh, weapons of any kind, what he would do is dig traps and trap something. Or uh, he would just keep pursuing it until it fell over dead from exhaustion. <laughs> and home. And uh, that's what they'd say. He'd come back after several days with a small elk over his shoulders and they'd have meat for a while. So uh, it was kind of a pretty rustic existence, you'd have to say. Uh, but they were always kind of on the edge of hunger. When I was looking at the uh, temperature and everything in there, summer in that section of Siberia is only about two months old. You only get two months. So everything flowers, there's berries, there's nuts, but only for two months. So you can forage, but not for very long. And uh, they only have about a four month growing season. So they would garden, they would grow potatoes, they'd grow rye, and uh, that's what they would grow as much as they could so they could store it for the winter. But uh, one of the things they said was you just got used to being hungry all the time. So that every winter they would be so hungry that they would take a family council, they'd get together and say, should we just eat everything we've got and have one big full tummy, tummy binge and then die? Or should we save it for seed in the spring? 
And every year, every year that they would have their council, they'd decide, nah, let's save it for seed in the spring and they'd keep going. So they were that hungry that they got that close a lot. And then uh, in the spring of 1960, there was a heavy frost and snow in June and it killed everything that was growing in their garden. So that summer they were eating tree bark, they were eating tree leaves, they were eating roots, anything they could find. And naturally without a garden, the winter of 60 and 61 was very lean. And the mom of the family, Agalina, she basically didn't eat anything so that her kids could have whatever tree bark and roots they had saved. So she ended up dying of starvation in 1961. And then the family's now uh, five of them and they kind of kept carrying on. Uh, just kept doing what they were doing, cutting firewood, living through the winter, gardening. Uh, eventually their, uh, their steel pots rusted out and wore through so that they couldn't even cook over a fire anymore. They had to uh, do everything with birch pots and birch baskets, which you can't put on the fire. And uh, it was a pretty lean existence. And uh, they were saying after they got discovered and rescued, so to speak, I use rescue with air quotes because they kind of didn't want to be, but they got rescued anyway. Uh, that they said it was getting pretty lean and they were getting a little more desperate as the decades wore on. But they uh, they got found in 1978 because a helicopter crew was looking for a place to land some geologists. And it's rugged mountains. It's all forest and uh, rapids and rocky rivers. And the helicopter pilot noticed uh, a a clearing in the pines that had furrows in it. And he thought, oh, this is creepy. There's somebody down there and there's not supposed to be anybody. So eventually the geologist hiked in. It was, uh, I can't remember, several miles they had to hike. There they found this family of five living in their little debris hut. And uh, the uh, one geologist said that the two girls who had not seen another human other than family members their entire life were they almost had their own little language. It just sounded like uh, blurred purring uh, because, you know, they didn't have anybody to teach them how to talk either. They just, that's what they did. <laughs> anyway, so they get rescued more or less and brought back to uh, Western civilizations such as Russia could do in the 70s. And uh, they all decided they didn't like it. And in fact, after a, a couple of years in 1981, uh, the two out of the three children ended up dying of uh, pneumonia and kidney failure. The dad lasted a few more years until 88, but the youngest one, uh, Agafia, she, uh, she's still alive as far as I know and living out in the woods because she didn't want to have anything to do with the big city, thought traffic was terrifying and uh, TV was uh, the devil's curse. And so, well, she was right, but she, uh, she decided she'd rather go back and live in the woods. So she went back and as far as I know, she's still out there in her 70s, living alone out in the mountainy woods. So anyway, that was uh, their history. But it occurred to me that they had basically done bug out extreme, where people talk about, I'm going to put on my pack. It's basically my inch pack. I'm, uh, I'm not just bugging out. I'm never coming home. And they're going to go out and live in the woods. And it, well, these people did that. And uh from what happened to them, there are quite a few useful lessons, I thought, for people who might be thinking that could be fun for a week or two or a month. How <laughs> yeah. I went for 40 years might give you a hint. So there's your nutshell. <sighs> and that's a great story. Um, and I'm, I'm sure a lot of lessons there. 
Um, you shared your you shared your takeaways in in the article, but I thought we'd look a little bit at, at what did we take away from it. So, Chip, let me let me throw it to you. What did you take away from the article? Well, you know, I've read this that article three times, and I'm just more amazed at their resilience and perseverance. You know, in trying to survive. Um, I don't think I'd make it, <laughs> to be honest with you. Um, it, it hit me that, you know, most of our our limited bug out plans, you know, they're short for short term events. And um, we really don't have the skills to survive like that for long term. So that's something that I think we need to think about. And, you know, it would take a lot for us to have to leave this rural area. But uh, we do need to put some thought into what would have to happen, you know, and I, I'm I'm 61. I'm not in great shape. We've got a three and a half year old toddler that we'd be bringing along with us. And uh, so going out on foot is just really unimaginable to me at this point. So uh, I'm woefully unprepared for something like that. Good point. <clears throat> Brian, what about you? He's speechless. Oh, I think you're muted, Brian. Yes, sorry, I'm, I'm muted. <laughs> so, so the, the first, the first thing I got out of is just don't do that, right? So, and and I feel fortunate that we live in a place to where we don't have, we're not put in that situation yet. Yeah, but um, one of the things I that I got from it, um was communication. So, I mean, the, they weren't even aware of a world war. You know, no. they didn't even know there was a war going on. Um, they had no knowledge whatsoever of the outside world or the rest of the world. So I think it's important to be able to monitor the news, maybe communicate with family. They, could, they didn't have to be out there that long. They just were. And I don't know that that, you know, if they wanted to be, you know, like they didn't want rescued, but if they could have came back after, you know, months or years or something, maybe they wanted to back then, but we just don't know. Um, another thing, uh, the story changes a little bit depending on where where, where you're looking. So um, I thought they, one of the stories was the, the um, geologist that came and rescued him gave them pneumonia and then a couple of them died from the pneumonia. So, I mean, that's something to think about too. You, they weren't getting a doses, they, they weren't getting the, um, you know, the little doses of immune, immunity that we get from one another, you know, with the little exposures of this and that. Also, they, um, their diet, you know, they probably weren't getting, uh, you know, the vitamins and nutrients that, that we're accustomed to. So health has to be a huge factor when you're talking about that. And ultimately, I just think um, a lot of us would wonder if it's if if, it, if if that's even worth. I mean, the survival instinct that they had had to be immense because a lot of us would just think, "I might not want to live like that anyway." So why, you know, I don't know if I'd go through all that. Yeah, I think a lot of people would would. Uh, 
take it that way? You know, do I really want to live like that? And actually, that's my biggest takeaway, because a lot of the times when we're talking about preparedness and survival, we, you know, you hear the term survive and thrive, and, and that's what you want to do. And that's not what they were doing. They were just surviving and barely surviving at that, although they did a, a great job of doing that and may do in a amazing ways that we probably, uh, we, I mean, you know, we would have died, right? <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> yeah. I think another thing is, is that they, they were living at a time. Um, I, I'm sorry, I can't remember the exact year. When did they bug out again? 1936. Okay. So 1936, uh, a year. And not only that, they already were rural. So they had skills that, we, you know, the skills were just native to them. You know, they didn't go to a survival weekend to learn them or, or they didn't try these things in their backyard. These were things that they already knew how to do. And of course, when they bugged out, they had to, you know, up their game a, a little bit more, especially like when their pots rusted out and, and different things like that. So um, that was my biggest takeaway is like, how can you, if you're in a situation like this, is survive but then also thrive. And what would it take for you to be able to do that? I wonder if there was any plan to the bug out as far as um, did they do it right away? Like, you know, his brother was shot and like they, did, they didn't even bury him and they just took off. Um, I don't know. Is that in the in the story? Now, I hadn't actually found uh, that granular level of detail, but it did sound like it was pretty hastily done. Now, I could imagine you know, where we'd say, well, I just wouldn't have gone. And I thought, well, if the uh, Soviet troops are now descended on your peaceful little village and they're shooting people, it's either be shot here or go die in the woods. It's uh, it's not an easy choice. Yeah. yeah. Uh, true on that. No, I, I, was, I was just um, considering the fact that a lot of it is well, kind of like what Brian was talking about as far as communication, because my thing was, I would at some point start venturing back into civilization. But I think a, a big piece to this is their religious beliefs. Um, their religious beliefs already had them, um, they felt more like uh, I don't know, people are, are familiar with the Kuman community, uh, you know, the Essenes. They lived an aesthetic life, you know, during the time of Jesus and John the Baptist and all that kind of stuff. So they, they removed themselves from society. And so these people were already removed and then they removed themselves even more. And so for them, it wasn't just a safety issue. It was a spiritual thing as well. And that kind of kept them again. Like I, I would have, okay, Hey, it's been kind of quiet. Things are bad. I'm going to go venture into the next town or I'm going to go try to find a town and see if I can get some supplies in some way and, and do that. And that, that just never came up. I, I wonder if, that was ever a conversation, uh, you know, in, in that situation. So that was kind of my, my takeaway is not just, you know, when we talk about survival, we don't just want to survive. We want to survive and thrive. So um, another question for you is what did it do to your preparedness? You know, after reading this, was there any, any thoughts? I mean, you know, we, we can read articles. I read articles all the time. We all read articles. We write articles. And we might read them and take them in a little bit, but this was an article that could really stick with you, right? And and really get you thinking. So was there any change to your preparedness uh, about that? Anything there that you'd like to share? Uh, Brian, I'm going to kick it to you this time. Okay. Um, honestly, 
I haven't made any changes. Um, I don't really prep for the end of the world scenario, the, you know, the EMP or the, you know, the foreign invasion or any of that type of thing. So my bug outs, again, at my age and my wife's age in our situation, I don't see us like throwing on backpacks and going out in the woods and hoping that we can get by. That, that would, in my, in our case, that'd be an illusion, but I also think that in 99.5% of the population, it's also an illusion. So um, game wouldn't last. Um, they didn't even have much game there. We have an abundance here, but not for that type of scenario. So if it got so bad to where, I mean, they were in a, in a different situation, but if it got so bad to where we had thought we had to run off into the woods to live like Grizzly Adams for anybody that's as old as I am, um, they, uh, we wouldn't be the only ones doing that. You'd have thousands of people out there. Game would disappear. We'd be tripping on each other over the top of each other with their security would be a nightmare trying to, you know, so yeah, I just don't, I don't really prepare for that. My, my bug out amounts to, you know, grabbing a bag and, you know, having the cash to, to go get a, a, a motel room if I need to <laughs> or a relative, you know, I'm, I do believe in carrying some of the bushcraft type of things because it's fun and gear is nice and who doesn't want it, but like flashlights, maybe a compass, you know, in case your GPS doesn't work, you know, a map, you know, every, you should always have a knife on you and, and, and a, 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 a method of protection, whatever that option is available to you. But as far as like, you know, the shovels and the tents and all that stuff, I think you should have something, you know, for shelter and emergency, but I, I just don't, that's not in my, my bug out. You don't have a spinning wheel in your bug out bag? <laughs> no, I don't. You know, and that, how heavy was that? That had to been like, did they take a pack of mule or something with them? Or? <laughs> if you look at the photo, it looks like the wheel is maybe about yay big around. So yeah. it's a really rudimentary little spinning wheel. It's not the sort of classic colonial American style. But still, it was a hunk of wood that they had to haul around. But then so was the loom and two uh, two steel pots. So I have to say their, uh, their bug out bag probably didn't come in at 17 pounds. Right. Yeah. And it didn't have a flash drive. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, and again, there are different, a different people, you know, they're, they're made differently back then. You know, they were used yeah. to hard work and uh, they could, they could carry a lot more and, and deal with it that way. Um, my, my biggest takeaway was um, the fact that, I mean, my plan it kind of like, I, I believe it's probably everybody nowadays you know at one point early on in preparedness bug out and bug out is still the big hot topic everybody wants you know talks about bug out i know over at prepper website if i link to a bug out uh, article it's going to get traction people want want to read about that they want to know what kind of gear to put in a bug out bag all that kind of stuff but i think at some point there was this real change that people started realizing bugging out is not you know, unless you have a place to go, unless you have a bug out retreat, you have a, you know, a, a grandparent or a parent in the country or whatever, bugging out is not really uh, your, your number one priority. And I think a lot of people are going to bug in. However, with that said, 
my plans on bugging out previously was always to go to my dad's property up in the country. Well, he sold that probably about a year ago. I mean, I wasn't able to get up there with the church and with my job and different things that were going on. And they're getting older and it just was starting to get into disrepair and he wasn't able to finish the things that he wanted to do. And so he's like, you know what? There's no reason why to just have this if no one's coming up here. And even if we had to bug out, it wouldn't be ready. So he wound up selling it. So that was always my go-to. And now I don't have that. And so <laughs> my, my thing is like, what am I going to do? Because all my family lives in town. So this is what I was thinking about. All my family lives in town. I don't know anybody who lives out in the country or I don't have a grandparent who lives out there or anything like that. And so I really, if for instance, like Hurricane Harvey, where the water was coming right up to my garage and I have a bunch of people who, I, I know a bunch of people who did get water in their homes, you know, um, some people that I know were taking pictures from their second floor down to their first floor because the water was that high. Um, my my bug out plan would be to go to a family member's house that is better off than me you know that right now that's what it would be if it was the walking dead type thing that that kicks it to a whole nother scenario right and uh, that probably would mean bugging out to the woods or bugging out probably finding going out to east texas going towards that way and trying to find a place that no one is there. <laughs> Maybe, you know, just kind of like, hey, I'm going to hang out at your home for a little bit until, uh, you know, if you come, you know, it's clean and you can, <laughs> it's yours. But if not, you know, I might need to just, uh, just uh, sit there. I, I, I don't know. I, don't, I have no other plan whatsoever. Um, Mick, what about you, man? Well, I'm kind of in the same boat as, uh, as you guys in that, uh, Part of the reason we are in this property is it's uh, it's a good bug-in location. And it's got its own private well. It's, you know, I can hand pump so I don't need the grid. And um, expanding my garden space so I can grow plenty of uh, potatoes and rye like they did. And uh, so, you know, I'm planning on staying here. But one of the things that I had as a, a takeaway, yeah, I, I agree that most modern folks nowadays, if they tried to pack it into the woods, they might last 40 days, but not 40 years. And uh, and like you were saying, Todd, they back then they had skills. They were already kind of peasant class farmers. So they were already used to, well, obviously the wife was used to growing hemp to make fibers to spin yarn and make fabric. She was already up to speed on that. And they, the dad was already a farmer. So they already had some sort of rudimentary survival skills, which a lot of our urban folks don't have. I mean, if you're putting all your faith into the uh, survival seeds in a can, that's going to save you someday. Yeah, you know, you might want to practice a little. But uh, they had some skills that a lot of people don't. And for all we know, uh, he was they were the only family in their village that survived. Maybe another dozen families booked it out to the woods, but they didn't last that long. Again, those mm -hmm. are details. I can imagine the Soviets don't want to talk about that. But the, uh, <laughs> the takeaway that I had in there was that you could come up to the trigger event as much as I think this is my bug in place and I'm just going to stay here. There could be an event that says, no, I can't stay here. I really have to leave. What am I going to do if that happens? And uh, Chip, you were talking about uh, an inventory. You've got a couple of blog posts talking about take inventory and know what you've got. Now, that, that would probably be a good thing that I thought, well, if I've got a half an hour to put yeah. everything in the truck, what am I going to take? 
if I wait until I've got the half hour, I'm going to spend half of it spinning and scratching my chin and, and not loading the truck. So, yeah. uh, you know, figure out if I've got to leave, what am I going to take? And right now, I don't have anywhere to go other than, like, say, friends. And it depends on what it is. If Seabrook blows up and I have to go west, well, I have to go west. I don't have anything west. Uh, it depends on where the trouble comes from. I have to go the other way. So I figure I'm going to be a refugee. So I'm going to work on being a, a well-equipped refugee. <laughs> you can bring bring something with you, definitely, right? Oh, yeah. Grab the chickens for sure, you know, if you can do that. Yeah. <laughs> Chip, what about you? Uh, to me, the biggest thing I think was to really start concentrating on skills. You know, we, we've got a lot of supplies, freeze-dried food, you know, water filtration capability. And uh, except for bugging out on foot, you know, we would be taking vehicles and packing a lot of stuff and could probably survive with the food we've got for, you know, several weeks, a couple of months, nothing like this family went through, but uh, what, what's, what allowed them to survive was the skills that they already knew and they were practicing and doing every day. So to me, that's a big thing I need to work on come this spring, especially now we've got some land to do that. Um, I want to learn how to do a lot of those things just in case. It, it's good to have that land to be able to do some of that in, in practice and, and to uh, get all, all of that going on, man. That's uh, that's great. Great. And, yeah. and to be honest, that's one thing that I've also thought about is like, do I need to move further out uh, from where I'm at? And so that's probably another thing that I've been thinking about. So, um, you know, the next question is, uh, do you have any bug out plans? What are they and have they changed because of this article? And I kind of already talked about mine and, and what I would do there. Um, but I, again, mine would have to be going to a family member's. Now, that is if it was a big kind of breakdown, right? Kind of like what Brian said, if it is a localized event or even a regional event, I think if we are keeping our, you know, our, our gasoline tanks topped off and, and those kinds of things, which we should be doing, you can drive far enough out to get places. I think that's a great, uh, a great thing. You have to have some cash, uh, be able to get uh, to a hotel. And maybe there are some already, like you would know where you would go, right? So where I'm at in uh, the Houston area, how, you know, if I went north or if I went west or, you know, if I went that way, how far do I need to go out to, uh, you know, to, to get far enough and maybe are there some hotels, motels along the way that I could stop at or some camping grounds or, or, or whatever. Um, that would be, you know, a localized event. If it was a true SHTF, again, I'm, and I had to bug out. My goal is not to bug out, but if I had to, it would have to be going to someone that I knew that was in better shape. So Mick, what about you? Well, it's kind of the same thing. I don't have a, a piece of property somewhere that I could run off to. Uh, so I would probably be trying to find somebody that I knew far enough away. Again, like if it was a localized thing that I could get far enough away to be out of trouble, well, and then I'll do that. But if it's, uh, you know, like you say, if it's the zombies rising kind of a thing and I just need to 
get away from anybody and everybody. I'll have to take what I've got, but I don't really have a particular destination to get to. So normally I was thinking of bugging out in a sort of, I've got somewhere to go to. Uh, if it's, well, like when I was uh, commuting into Boston, I always had my get home bag with me. So if, which might be the subject of a book, the grid was to go down and I was uh, to uh, have to walk home, you know, what am I going to take with me? And uh, it, it always kind of stayed on travel light because I'm not trying to stay there, build a debris hut, learn to hunt and fish. I'm just trying to get home. So it would be sort of minimal gear just to get me there, warm and dry. Good point. Good point. Chip, what about you? Well, the main plan is to bug in, especially now we've got some property and we're in rural Mayberry out here in Virginia. But if we had to leave, the first option is um, we've got family in Kentucky and in Florida. So depending on the situation, we would pack up, you know, two of our vehicles with the essential stuff and head there. If that wasn't uh, an option and, and, we, and we couldn't make it that far or for whatever reason, we've looked at some areas in uh, Western Virginia, uh, Northern North Carolina to where, you know, there's places that we could go and hang out in camp and uh, survive for a little bit, but certainly nothing more than a few weeks or, uh, you know, a couple of months at most. You know, one thing we, it was interesting we thought about, if it was a true, you know, breakdown in society, SHTF, it might be good to have a list of homes in the area that are for sale that nobody's living in. So, you know, you kind of hate to take over somebody's property, but then again, if it was a worst case scenario, uh, you'd have some places that maybe you could stay and have a fireplace or something like that. So that's something we were sort of thinking about and playing with. So. That's a, that's a good one, Chip. I never thought about that one. Yeah. That's good. What are they going to say? You know, if you had some cash with you, you could always offer the owners, you know, a couple of months rent or whatever and yeah. <laughs> do what you can. But that certainly would be better than, especially in wintertime, having to be camping in a tent, you know, so. Yeah. Hey, if you have a little bit of, if everything's breaking down, you have a little bit of silver or something, mm -hmm. they might definitely go for that. Yeah. Ryan, what about you? Wow, I really like Chip's uh, open house idea. That's kind of clever. I probably shouldn't have shared that. <laughs> no, you shouldn't have, but I got it now, so it's, it's mine now. Um, I, I actually do have, um, in different directions, phone numbers uh, and locations of hotels to where I thought, because as soon as something happens, you know, if there was like a, say a like a gas leak or something you know for the city or something where i'm at and and they started evacuating the rooms around here would fill up really quickly if you could if you could like make a phone call and secure that room as soon as you thought you might need to the quicker you can do that the better so yeah. you know so we actually i actually have those in my binder some 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 of the hotels around here with the discounts and stuff, so, but those may not even apply, but at that point, it doesn't matter. Um, yeah, I if, if it was like, a, you know, like a localized, but very se severe situation where I'd have to bug out, I like have to leave state. If I had to go like south, 
southeast, I'd go to Chips. And if I had to go like northeast, I'd go to Mix. And if I had to go south, I'd go to Todd's. I don't have anybody north, but it's really cold up there anyway. I'm already too cold. So those, that pretty much covers most of the directions that I'd have to go in. But like everybody else, my, my idea would be to stay home. Uh, I there's very there's I don't really see the likelihood of me having to leave and go out into the woods. I don't I don't really foresee that happening in my lifetime. But you know it's always possible. But as far as like short term, just sticking with the uh, if I had to load up the car, the truck, and I've got the fuel to just I could actually probably make it to your house, Dad, without ever hitting a gas station. It would no. you wouldn't want to hit a lot of potholes, but I, <laughs> I got the fuel. <laughs> and you know what? You're well. You're welcome to come hang out over here. Bring bring your bees, bring <laughs> your bees and the honey. But uh, that would be great. Hey, let's let's talk a little bit about maybe some some bug out myths or some things that we hear in the preparedness community that just like gives you a little bit of pause, you know, out there. And uh, you know, we've, we've covered some of these things already, but I, I figure maybe we can, um, uh, you know, kind of kind of talk a little bit about those. If, if there are some of those things that kind of come to mind about bugging out. Um, you know, my thing is in the preparedness community, I really want people to move away from the idea of, of out and and I again I'm trying to do my part in you know on the podcast and in in articles that I've written about bugging in and, and different things like that but I really want to help get people's ideas we need to have a bug out plan but it really that that's not the goal you know and I, again that that's always it seems like that is the thing that people always gravitate to that's the sexy thing I think because you can buy the gear and you can buy all those kinds of things, you know. Uh, you know, does anyone have anything to uh, to, to share there? Uh, what's your the whatever on that? And then maybe the, the the craziest bug out piece of gear that you've seen someone talk about. Um, you know, feel free to, to just kind of chime in on any of that. Um, you know, because people will pack. I, I've seen. I don't know about you guys, but I have seen people that post their pictures on Instagram and different places and they have everything but the kitchen sink. It's like, how in the world are you really going to, you know, it's like, that's just set up for a picture. It's got to be just set up for a picture, you know? And so, uh, I don't know. What do you think? Anyone want to, you know, give a, give a couple of two cents there? Well, I'll go first. Uh, I already touched on one of my, uh, my sort of pet peeves is the survival seeds that uh, I read the ads for those and they're talking about, we got these seeds, you'll go hundreds of pounds of delicious food. And I thought they've never tried to do that. Uh, but the guys who write brochure text, they don't care. But, you know, the, uh, the Lykov family, they were already used to growing food. They already had that farmer skill so they could go out there with a handful of seeds and live for 40 years. But, you know, the way they sell those things, I'm afraid people put a lot of, uh, or too much faith in the idea that they've got seeds, they can grow food, but yeah, you you can't just dump them in the dirt like uh, Bloomberg said and let it grow and then you eat. <laughs> so uh, that's one of my pet peeves, I guess. But the uh, 
Yeah, the kitchen sink thing on the bug out bags that always kind of amuses me because they're they're kind of like trying to say I'm going to go out there and live for 40 years and that's why I've got all this stuff. But well, I don't think they're going to get that far, not 150 miles. But you know, I've done some uh, testing of my overnight or doing some overnight camping tests of my my bug out bag, and I find a lot of stuff that I thought you know I really don't need that. And if I'm really just trying to get from A to B as few a days as possible, you know, give me a little plastic $5 tube tent and a bivy sack and some granola bars. And I just want to get there quick. I really don't need to be able to uh, to build a log cabin. So, Mick, I think that was one of the first articles I ever linked to from uh, from your from your website is that 24-hour um, bug out, wasn't it? I'm, I'm pretty sure that was. Yep, yeah, that was, you did. That was one of my early ones, and that one was kind of fun just because I picked the date months in advance, and so I had no idea what the weather was going to be, but I was going to do it on that date regardless. And uh, it was interesting because it had been so dry, the water source that I thought was going to be there was just dirt. So I had to go looking for water. <laughs> and then another yeah. time after that, it rained. So, uh, you know, it's it's good practice just to pick a day and then say, I'm going to do it regardless, because if you hit that SHTA F, uh, F event, it's probably not going to be mid-July <laughs> and partly cloudy. Yeah, very true. Brian, Chip, do you have anything there? Any 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 ideas there? You know, I stopped reading the bug out articles a long time ago. You know, I, when I first was getting into preparedness, I was like, wow, oh, okay, I better. And then it's like, there's no way. I mean, even if you could pack supplies, I mean, my, my thing it came down to if you thought you were going to uh, survive with everybody else going out into the wilderness, you better probably only take uh, a knife a water filter and fill the rest of your bag with ammo, right? That's that's the only way most people would survive out there. So I don't I don't pay a whole, a whole lot of attention to it and don't read those articles anymore. Uh, good point. I, I think probably you start and, and the other thing is is if you have a family, yeah. you've got to really start thinking about that. I mean, some yeah. of the people that start looking into bug out bags or whatever, it's, you know, guys maybe single guys. Well, all that change is when you have uh, when you bring in the family, complete different thing. Brian, I'm sorry, Chip, you were saying something. I, I, it just made me think. Of, well, when you said that, I'm thinking about our three and a half year old grandson. I, it it's just really hard to imagine uh, going out into the woods with a child like that. That's just going to be a really, really tough, tough thing to do. Very true, Brian. Yeah, I think, the, I think the whole thing, the whole idea is just going out there. So I, I've spent a, a bunch of times, a, a lot of nights solo hiking overnight, you know, go out for two or three days and come back by myself out in the woods, off trail. I'm not talking about, you know, I'm just talking about going out there and sometimes getting lost for a while unintentionally. But, you know, it's it's <laughs> it's, it's fun, you know, and if you get, it's, it's, it's a nice break from everything, you know, there's this and but. The idea of being able to, you know, you know, eat some grubs or even foraging, even when you know what you and, and I've tried this, even though when you know what you believe you know what you're doing, and you're you're miles from anywhere, you, your cell phone doesn't work, um, 
even if you take enough gear to keep it charged, there's just no cell service. And all of a sudden you think, ooh, I could have that mushrooms right there. And, and I'm sure that's good, but you know what? <laughs> I, I I have I have the uh, I I'm able I'm capable of going out there and staying the night all by myself and listening to the coyotes and everything else. But when it comes to eating something off the ground, and and not positive a hundred percent that it's not going to bring me down to my knees before I can walk out of there, I, I'm not doing it. And and I think I think a lot of people are under the illusion that because they can hunt or fish, that that's always going to be an option. Or you know, I can I can make a Dakota fire so nobody's going to know where I'm at. But, <laughs> you know, it's I, I think it's just a romantic, a romantic um, story, and I love those stories. If you've seen my Audible collection of three hundred and something books, you're going to see that like most of those are those type of stories. You know, with the with with the uh, post-apocalyptic stories and I but that's what those are that's all fiction I, I can't even fathom why people would think that they can go out and with what well, especially with their families I could probably go out there and live long enough even in the winter time until my food ran out then what am I gonna do out in the snow in the cold now I have a 60 year old wife is she coming too because i'll tell you she's not going anywhere out without those grandkids <laughs> you know so we're going to spend a lot of time going all over the country actually trying to round up our grandkids because she's not going yeah. not without them so i mean everything just gets real real when you start really bringing everything into perspective and i think i think a lot of people are just fooling themselves I hate to yeah. sound like that, but I just do. It's just, it's just, I agree. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think if anybody was to really put a lot, put some thought into it, they'd come up with some of the same kind of conclusions, right? I mean, you need to be able to have, again, I always was I'm bugging in no matter what. Um, and then Hurricane Harvey came and flooded everything, right? And so that there was people who, felt like they were in great shape and then all of a sudden this thousand year flood comes in and, and it wipes out things so um you know mick talked about uh, a water filter um what kind of water filters or, or do you have any anything in your bags um that you might have or anything in your gear for water that uh, you might want to share um i you know i promote the hydro blue versaflow and so I share that uh, a lot, and I truly believe in that one. I think it's easy. Uh, I've talked about how you can have the Hydro Blue and then screw on a soda bottle. Um, it's so so different than uh, the Mini Sawyer, where you have to have the plunger to backwash it. On, on with the the Hydro uh, the Hydro Blue Versaflow, you can just screw on a uh, a soda bottle, even one that you find, and use it to filter water and also to to backflush it. So uh, that's one, and definitely have the uh, you know the tablets to to put in water if you needed to do that. Um, anybody want to share what they have there, just in something that you might put in a bag, or ways that you're filtering water? I've, I've got pretty much the same thing you do, but I also carry a, a Sawyer Mini, you know, as a backup, along with the the Aqua Tabs or whatever they call them. Cool. So everybody knows, anybody knows me knows I do the show and tell thing. 
I just happen to have this stuff behind me because I was getting ready to take a picture of it. But I do the life straw. So I have multiples of those. And every every bag has a life straw. The Sawyer minis, this is a different version. This is the squeeze, but I have I keep those in and then of course the the bags and the back flush and all that. And I've from your link, Sarah Todd, I've brought the hydro blue. I've got two of them in a in a water closet back there. And I also have the water bottle that I carry, but that's not actually in a bug out bag. That's in my EDC. I think it is. It's in one of my bags where I can carry that with me. Because even if it's not a bug out situation, you want to be able to drink clean water if you need water, right? So you may not want to drink wherever you're at. Um, but yeah, I just, I, I, those are the cheaper, the cheaper ones. If you want to get like the, what is it called? The paradigm or whatever that makes I mean, that's, we, we're talking about a lot of money. And if, and, and I had, I had one similar to that when I was doing the hiking and stuff. And I've used the, um, both the life straw and, and the, uh, Sawyer mini out, out in, I've, both of them do, do fine. Even like in swampy, nasty, smelly things, you know, you just filter it with a bandana. The thing is, you can still smell it and get a little bit of a taste, but I've never gotten sick out there. So you survived. Yeah. <laughs> survived to tell about it. Mick, what about you? Yeah, it's kind of the same with my, uh, my lighter weight bug out bag. It's got the, uh, the Hydra Blue, which I like. I've uh, done Sawyer Minis, too, and the only other thing that I'd added after using those, I'd, I've only used the tablets a couple of times because I'm cheap, and so I kind of keep hanging on to them. But uh, the with the uh, the filters, one of the things that I had noticed was I really need some more to put the water in. Like with the Sawyer Mini, you get uh, an in-bag and an out-bag, and I thought, I need more water than that. And so I've needed, uh, let's see if I can do a product placement too. <laughs> you got it started. I've ordered these uh, collapsible bags mm -hmm. that I can put in, my, uh, put in my bag so they're not taking up room. But if I do find a water source, I want to be able to fill up a few of those with uh, the clean water and then take it to my camp. Because well, you'd be surprised how much water you actually go through. Yeah. And then cooking and cleaning. So yeah. a mere half liter of water in one mm -hmm. your mini bag, yeah, that's that's not enough. I don't want to have to keep going back to the stream because the place that I like to do that at, the stream is not right outside the tent. It's uh, it's a bit of a hike away. Or my alternate spot is a, a swamp that usually has water in it. But again, it's a little bit of a hike away. So I guess my tip is have more of the uh, collapsible bags so when you find water, you can uh, load up on it. Since we're on the containers, I wanted to bring up these 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 uh, forty ounce clean canteens. Ever everybody sees these all over YouTube and everything. They're they're great. The GSI cups, as you can see, they're well used. They nest in each other. You can boil water, cook in them. These um, smart water bottles, and then I've learned that these also these whatever this is that one of my kids left here and I emptied it out, some kind of vitamin water or something, Vita Nourish, Nourish. But I liked the caps on these. These will fit 
the uh, the uh, um, Sawyer Mini. Oh. So you can use it to filter your water into it, or you can even use it for a bag flush. So these these are are nice. So the and, and they're they're better than these thin things. Oh, yeah. These water bottles. So they'll last a long time. You can throw a couple of these in your pack, and you don't even have to fill them until you're ready. But it's always good to have a nice uh, uninsulated so that it doesn't burst on you, but um, a nice stainless steel container so that you can boil water. So if you can't filter it, you have that option as well to boil your water. Just let it cool down to a nice temperature before you take a sip. That's are my you, are you speaking from experience? No, but I've, I mean, I've gone and, you know, you know, you, it's funny that you say that because I'll, you know, you're making some coffee, you, you wake up in the morning, that's all you want because it's just going to make everything perfect because you woke up, I'm a hammock guy with the, with the tarp, I don't like tents and floor or ground and all that stuff, so set up a tarp in a hammock and you wake up and the birds are chirping, it's really nice weather and everything's perfect, all you need is that cup of coffee, so you heat up the coffee, you pour your instant, you know it's going to suck, right, because it's an instant coffee, but it's fine. It's coffee, and you stick your finger in there, and it's okay. That's good. And now you take a sip of it, and you realize, okay, the coffee is a perfect temperature, but that metal container it's in is almost your 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 lips are sticking to it. <laughs> I don't think a lot of people realize that until the first time they've tried it, you know, over a flame like that when you're heating your coffee. Nobody ever told me that in camping school. So. <laughs> Someone told you in camping and survival school. Right. Hey, I, think, I think that's an article right there. All right, so that's a perfect segue into our last little uh, bit here as we we're getting ready to wind down the show. Um, bug out survival tips. And so, um, Mick, I'm going to let you kick it off, man. We, you know, what do you have for us? Well, it's kind of an offshoot of what I was saying before. Uh, rather than bring the kitchen sink, you know, test out a, a minimal set of gear. You know, how little do you need to get you uh, three days on foot so you're doing two nights? You're, you don't need a fishing kit. I always laugh at those because I'm not going to stay anywhere long enough to fish. And, uh, you know, just minimal. You know, need something to keep the rain off me, keep me warm, keep me dry. Minimal food, too. Um, I mean, MREs are interesting, but they're heavy. Yeah. So, uh, you know, a couple of bags of oatmeal and uh, some of that, hardly any weight, but uh, I can get somewhere and, and not be starving, not eating tree bark, although you can do that. But again, I don't want to stay around long enough to do that either. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, traveling light, that would be kind of the uh, the tip is try it out. See what you don't need, because you'd be surprised how much you don't need. Good. <clears throat> Chip? I, I would say, one, you, you need an inventory of all your supplies and equipment so that you know where stuff is. But if in that inventory, you can mark things as being for bug out and you're able to sort and filter and get to that list quickly, that is going to save a ton of time and, and frustration and anxiety because you've got your, your picking list to go get stuff and you can you can get packed up in that other much, much quicker. Good point. Brian, what do you have for us? Probably my, my biggest tip would be think of why you would be bugging out. What's the more, most likely reason that you would have to leave your home in the safety and security of your house and all the, all the things that you have there 
and whatever that is, whether it be a fire or evacuation or whatever, plan for that. So more likely rather than having, you know, a survival axe or something, you might want to consider having your documents backed up maybe on a, on a, uh, a drive or even hard copies. You know, if you're, you know, insurance papers, phone numbers, passwords, that type of thing. Um, if you're, if you take any type of medicine, it's good to have some med meds, you know, in case you can't get them for a few days while you're doing it, wherever it is you're going and, uh, some cash in case you can't access an ATM machine for whatever reason, have some cash on you. And, um, yeah, I think it's just, I think a lot of us need to bring it down. You, you, you mentioned earlier, like, what are some of the crazy things that, that you've seen people buy? Well, you can go find that on my blog because I had a whole blog post over because I was that guy when I first started <laughs> doing this. You know, I was just like, oh, a three-person, all a, a two-person, four-season tent, $475 sold. You know, and I'm just like, oh, it'll be here in two days. Thank you, Prime. I went in it exactly one time. That was with my grandson in the backyard. So, I mean, it's just like, oh, a GPS, look at, wow, that's a lot of money, but it's, it does everything. It, I can put all the top on, yeah. You know, yeah, it's it's better if you just bring it down a little bit and stay more realistic and try to think of why you would need to bug out. And it's, I, I, I can pretty much, in fact, I can make a promise. It won't be an EMP. I can promise that because if it is an EMP, you can't find me anyway. <laughs> so you can't be mad at me. But yeah, it's, it's not going to be that, you know, the, the end of the world scenario. It's just not. Good point. Um, my little bit of uh, advice that I would say is if you're looking at a bag that, uh, you know, whatever, a go bag, bug out bag, um, get home bag, whatever it is, uh, I'm a big fan of uh, being modular. And, you know, if you have like your, your fire kit, um, if you're going to if you're going to include that, then put it inside of a, uh, you know, put it all together in one place. Um, if you're, you know, you're looking at, you have a battery charger, you know, Brian's recently done a, an article on that on, you know, you have your battery chargers and you have your other things that are electronic. Maybe you keep them all in one, one place, uh, your food all in one place and, and just make it really easy to identify and to find and to grab those things and get them out of your bag. The last thing you want to do is throw everything in a bag and then have to sit there trying to pull it all out. One of the best places that I found for uh, getting little little kits and modular and things like that are the dollar store. And uh, if you can imagine, you know, all these game systems that these kids uh, use, you know, when 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 they're carrying them around, these parent parents are buying these hard, nice hard cases for them to uh, to hold and uh, so that they don't break. And I mean, they spent two hundred three hundred dollars on these, but when that system goes obsolete and the next one comes out well all those hard cases and the things that you know they don't fit the other game systems so what winds up happening is they just get got to get rid of them and they wind up at dollar stores so i have found some really nice hard cases that i could you know use for like a fire kit nice zippers you know they have uh pouches and and all kinds of things on the inside so that you can separate things and and everything is nice and neat and so 
you know, that might be, you might have to go to a couple of different dollar stores. You might have to hit them different times, but there's usually some, something like that that you can use if you need to uh, build something, you know, in, in a modular system. So that's my little piece of advice when you're talking about kids. I mean, it's, I use that all the way around. Even when I uh, everyday carry, so for instance, my uh, little Altoids kit for my my medical Altoids kit, it's in an Altoids kit. I have another little Altoids kit for you know other stuff, and so I just try to keep it separated like that. It makes it really easy to find. Well, there you go. Hey, I want to send out a special thanks to Chip, Mick, and Brian for hanging out with me on this Prepper website live. Hey, if you want to connect with them, you can check the show notes. Uh, I have linked to all of their websites and also the article that uh, Mick was referring to and that we all use to kind of bounce off of this topic. And uh, you can go check that out, of course. Hey, everyone, that is it for episode 672. Don't forget to subscribe to the show. Make sure you click the subscribe button in your favorite podcast app. That way you never miss another episode of Sweet Prepper Goodness. And don't forget, if you're looking for more preparedness and self-reliant information, head on over to PrepperWebsite.com, where we link to 8 to 12 articles every day of the very best preparedness-related articles out there. We also have pages dedicated to alternative news, firearms, DIY, Bible prophecy, frugal living, and homesteading. And lastly, don't forget to join the email list if you haven't. When you do, I'm going to send you a free PDF on 25 hand-picked preparedness articles that you should read. And with that, choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government grid or the grind. Until next time, stay prepped and aware. Peace.